You're listening to the AFL Unlimited podcast, where we tackle all the hot topics in the AFL and bring you up to speed with everything you need to know in the football landscape. We'll take a look at this weekend's games and have some mixed discussion about what to expect. Let's head up to the box for the opening bounce. With Destiny on one shoulder and the Demon Army on his back, Max Gorn delivered one of the greatest ever finals performances to get Melbourne into the grand final. On Friday night, he and the Demons looked poised to win the ultimate prize. And then the Dogs did what none of us expected and blew away Port Adelaide in the first quarter to set up one of the most tantalising grand final matchups in years. For what the prelim finals lacked in competitiveness, it made up for in the stories of victory and triumph, loss and disappointment. Boys, prelims are one and done. Thank you for joining me this week. Oh, it's really good to be back again and looking forward to a grand final. Thanks, Langs. Um, yep, just only just made it to uh, this, tonight's uh, podcast, but <laughs> good to be here. You're always a, a man of many things happening on the Monday's tears, but uh, we spoke about last week it being the spiciest weekend of football, and it certainly was, but not for the reasons we were hoping. There was some massive, uh, massive wins and some destructive wins in the prelims over the weekend, one of which was sort of expected and the other was very unexpected, but a big win nonetheless. So we're going to do things a bit differently this week. We're going to go through team by team, starting with the losers and talk about some of the big talking points for each team. Uh, and obviously next week being that we have the week break before the grand final, we're going to do our big grand final preview, which will be massive. And it's like I mentioned, it's going to be one of the one of the greatest grand finals uh, and most anticipated ones for a long time, boys. Yeah, I'm excited for this show. I've been practicing my ice skating for, for weeks because I heard we're doing some pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be it's going to be really good. Obviously, uh, not going to be quite the same when your team's not there and you, you <laughs> bow out in a prelim. But yeah, no, there's, there's plenty of talking points, Links. Absolutely. And to, to start straight into it, to get straight into the uh, the immediate reactions uh, from the losers, Port Adelaide were widely tipped as you know, one foot into the grand final. And I think uh, from an article that came out this week, the, the final tipping point and bit of uh, ammunition that Bevo used for the dogs was uh, one of the ex-Port Adelaide players. I'm not sure exactly who, but some somewhere someone was advertising um, grand final flights packages and tickets packages for Port Adelaide, um, sort of preempting that they were going to get into the grand final. And I think, you know, between the papers in Adelaide and with a week off, it, sort of subconsciously got up in their head that they thought they were going to get there. And the dogs like they did in 2016, absolutely made them earn it. And by quarter time, they'd absolutely blown them out of the water. And it begs us to ask the question, boys, were Port Adelaide mentally prepared for the heat that the dogs were bringing? And did they have one half of their brain into next week in September? They definitely showed up like they thought it was going to happen for them. Uh, and the dogs obviously scored that early goal, but, yeah, they, they were just uh, shell-shocked right from the get-go. Um, yeah, the, obviously the dogs were very hungry in the contest and uh, Port were just very timid uh, around the ball. They, they didn't really go after it and consequently, after such a great start, uh, they never really gave themselves a chance. So um, sometimes even if you are mentally prepared, it's all good and well to be prepared, but to actually we we know what the dogs will bring um, every week, and Port Adelaide probably haven't you know really uh, thrived in those games against the the top four sides. Um, they obviously defeated the Cats the first week, but 
yeah, there's there's knowing it that the barrage is coming, but actually dealing with it is another thing. But it was all set up for Port Langs. Um, they they really should have put a much better effort than that. Um, yeah, what do you think, Chuck? Oh, well, I don't really know what went wrong for Port Adelaide. It was it it was kind of a really tricky one to to grasp. Really, um, I think everyone thought that Port were going to put on a strong strong performance at home. Obviously, as they did with their demolition of the Cats. But, you know, in hindsight, maybe the Cats side wasn't <laughs> that uh, hard a beat after all. Um, yeah, the, the dogs just seem to be, you know, working a bit harder and, and stronger there. I, I know I, I, I tipped the dogs purely kind of by <laughs> luck, really. I was just kind of like, well, they've won two and every time I pick against them, they keep getting up. So that's the only re- really real reason I tipped the dogs. And I still thought Port were probably going to put on a strong show, but... Really, once the going got tough, Port seemed to kind of disappear. And I don't know, Lang, as you probably looked into this and analysed some of these players' performances, but what did you really think yourself of what happened here? Yeah, it was just a, a good old-fashioned smash and grab from the dogs. And, you know, we speak about so much, even through home and away, if, especially this year, if you're like, you know, one two percent off and another team is you know five percent above where you're at you're absolutely going to pay the price it's so such a close year this year and i think um i'm certainly guilty of it but the i'd I'd written the dogs off their last three weeks were terrible and um in hindsight it probably looked like they were just gearing themselves for finals and maybe that extra preparation that they were taking cost them home and away but in the grand scheme of things it, it was a blip on the radar now that they've made the grand final and I think Port were somewhat victim of that too. Maybe thinking the dogs, you know, just got over got over Brisbane the week before, and you know, all the uh, subterfuge around the dogs, um, you know, not being allowed out of quarantine. The newspapers, the government was all against the Victorian team, and uh, yeah, I think just subconsciously, I don't think it was a deliberate plan from Port, obviously, but subconsciously, um, a lot of people, including neutral fans, Port Adelaide fans, coaches and the players, just uh, mistook the dogs and underestimated how dangerous they can actually be, which is, you know, we talk about and everyone talks about how, you know, violent and extreme finals um, you have to be in finals to be able to get up and win. And it's funny, this, a lot of the finals this season seem to have been pretty relaxed and a lot of them seem to have had, in hindsight, pretty um, uh, solid winners coming out of those games, Tiz. So it's just a, you know, a little slip up and it costs cost Port dearly. Like they didn't have many winners. Uh, obviously, Wines tried his heart out. Um, Boak was okay, but sort of um, down probably on his usual performance. And I thought Bonner was pretty solid. He got 32, but... They didn't have enough winners and, and not enough um, you know, Port Adelaide players were able to cope with the pressure that the dogs uh, sort of um, showed. I think we'll talk a little bit more on the dogs when we get to the winners. But, yeah, it's a disappointing uh, chance blown by, I suppose, Port Adelaide, and which you've sort of mentioned here, Langs. Um, you have two home preliminary finals and don't make it to a grand final. Obviously, you, you, play, you kind of play Richmond, who are the team of the – um, you know, one of the teams in the modern era. So, um, uh, unfortunately, sometimes you, you got to get through Richmond uh, sometimes, and they, they didn't last year. They definitely had their chances though late. They were they they just kept it bombing it straight to Nankervis late. So they definitely <laughs> could have won it had they had a bit of poise and lowered the eyes. But, but yeah, to lose in such a manner, uh, you'd expect a Port to win well, and 
they've not only lost, but they've lost by 12 goals of their home deck in a home preliminary final. I think that's one of the more, yeah. speaking of embarrassing performances soon, but one of the more embarrassing losses, I think, um, uh, for, in the club's history, Chuck. I definitely think it's pretty embarrassing, that loss. But at the same, in the same token, I, I think people were underrating the dogs based purely off of those few losses at the end of the season. Yeah, if we me. take our mind back, if we take our mind back to, you know, halfway through the season, the Bulldogs and the Demons clearly looked to have the superior teams. They had both gone undefeated well into the early stage of the season. They had a few hiccups here and there, but I think most considered their lists and their current, you know, age bracket and the likes to be the better sides. It looked like the Dogs had lost a bit of steam, but you know, maybe they were just taking a more relaxed route into preparation for, for finals. Um, obviously, dropping out of the top four is, is not ideal in that last game, but they clearly bounced back with, you know, the talent that they have on that side. You know, guys like Trelaw, who missed what was like 12 weeks, you know, during the year, um, kind of needed to get their game, you know, their, their feet back up and the likes. And it, it's an interesting one, Port, I honestly don't think like people are going to throw, you know, words about the coach and say, Oh, Hinkley, you know, he can't take the list to the grand final or, or get him a flag. But I don't think it's the, the coach's fault at all. I consider this just showing how good the coach is because in my opinion, their list just isn't good enough. They don't have the star talent. If you compare their list to a demons or a dogs, their list pales in comparison. Dixon clearly looks to have kind of run his race, at least this season. He he was still up there in the goal kicking, but he was nowhere near his best. He didn't have great support. Like when you're relying on Georgie Artis to be, you know, <laughs> one of your key supporting acts and it's like his rising star norm, like you need to have more talent in that list. Wines, Boak, and then dot, 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 dot for that midfield. The back line, we know they've got some good players in there, but I just don't think their list is strong enough. And I think the coaching is what has gotten them this far and has enabled them to, to get to the places. And, and we can see that they were losing to the top eight sides all season, pretty much. And they were winning the games you expect them to win, losing the games you think they were going to lose. I really think it's just a case that their list probably isn't good enough yet. They need to build it. And I think that will come. You know, the likes of Dersma. Rosie, these guys are top talents that will develop, but they're still young. They'll get there soon. They already look really good, but they give this list a, a few more years and they need to bring in some, you know, some more assistance. I still reckon they'll be back up in a couple of years. I just don't think they currently have the talent there at the moment. Um, and if they were to sack the coach, like you hear Koshi always calling for his head, he's the new Jeff Kennett, like he was calling for Clarko. I think that would be a brutal mistake uh, in hindsight if we see them, you know, part ways with with any of the coaching there. Like, yeah, look, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that they're not talented. They certainly do have some, you know, star players on their list, but I think they're just more of that uh, Richmond style where they have, you know, maybe three or four, you know, A plus grade players, and the rest of the team are, you know, fantastic role players, and they're a very good team in general, but. Obviously, as you've mentioned, Shook, I certainly agree that it did, it did break down at times. And, you know, when their backs are up against the wall, they they they, they don't have, you know, that absolute A-plus star-studded talent to uh, 
you know, pull them out of the fire. And um, I guess that's where Richmond sort of have that great balance of, you know, absolute teamwork and absolute star power as well. But uh, that sort of brings us around to the question, Tiz, of have Port Adelaide blown their chance at another flag? We saw Brisbane having the grand final located in Brisbane last year and they weren't able to pull it off or even make the grand final. And it's um, Port were able to lock in two home finals for themselves in their own state and they were sleeping in their own beds for a long time, but they weren't able to get it done when it mattered. Yeah, it's huge. It's a huge missed opportunity. Um, we talk about missed opportunities quite a fair bit being Cats fans, but uh, on the topic of Port Adelaide, you don't often get – it's you play all year and you, to try and get yourself in a good enough position to be able to contend. And um, home finals, you know, you've got to finish top two. It's so hard to get to top two. Um, they have managed to do it the last couple of years, finishing first and second. But, yeah, when you get these opportunities and despite the Bulldogs uh, probably being un- underrated or I guess their later position is probably not representative of the club that they've been because they've been – top two for most of the year. Uh, it, I, I still think you have to get that done. Um, as a Port Adelaide you know, footy club, you have to at least make one of those to the grand final. But to um, have Norton two in prelim finals at your home decks, yeah, not doesn't read pretty and it doesn't look great on the playing group. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree as well. I, I think they've got a lot of talent on their list and, and when I, I just they probably just need a little bit more support in that midfield. Uh, that's where they got bashed up, and that's often where, if teams get a hiding, it's normally where where it becomes unstuck. If you, if any team uh, puts <laughs> puts their midfield prowess together like the Dogs did over the weekend, with being able to win a lot of uh, dirty ball and you know find find a way inside fifty, they were able to separate uh, really well. Then you're going to make and apply great pressure. You're going to make any side look pretty ordinary, and um, the Dogs are just able to execute that the best on the night. What are your thoughts, Shooky? Have they blown their chance? Um, I think I kind of – I don't think they're in the, the window just yet. They've still got a bit of building to do, but yep. um, I don't think they're entirely out the window and you need to look at rebuilding because I think they're still in that building phase as they are. Yeah, they have a few older guys who maybe not be able to see that or taste that premiership success, unfortunately, but I think they're building a good list around them and they just need a few more additions and – and they'll still be right up there with the best of them, especially with that home advantage. Yeah, spot on. I, I pretty much agree with that statement there. There's there's a lot of clubs which are sort of, um, you know, right, you know, probably on the upward trends, upwards trend towards that premiership window, boys, isn't there? Um, speak, speaking about a club that's probably not um, going upwards towards a window, probably on the way down. The Cats talking about the losers this week. Uh, it was it wasn't a nightmare, fellas. It was another big loss for the Cats. Uh, the signs looked early, looked good early in the uh, early stages of that first quarter against the Demons, but you know by quarter time it was a scoreline that we're all too familiar with, and and the Cats just couldn't get it done, and they consistently can't get it done in big finals, let alone finals in general. And we don't want to mention the R word, but is it time to think about rebuilding for Geelong? Oh, this is getting interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, rebuild. It's getting pretty close. It, it, <laughs> even if it's not uh, 2022, it's 100% 2023. Yep. 
something severe change does need to come around and what with the current uh, strategy with the coaching and the players we have on our list sort of coerced with the current game style that's uh was good in 2020 uh just doesn't quite cut it unfortunately bring back and shorter quarters <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely um yeah, so clearly we've fallen short uh, on a number of occasions, and I think we've we've done everything to sort of you know throw a caution on the wind, um, put all the eggs in one basket, thrown a lot of money at Jeremy Cameron and a lot of our future away as well. So I, I mean, I almost feel like Scotty will and the coaching group will naturally try again because they've just spent three first round draft picks on Jeremy Cameron, uh, which is basically saying we're in the window for the next two years potentially. Um, so we'll, I almost feel like they're going to be bullish and go again, but change does need to happen. Um, if it's not in 2022, it'll be the, definitely the year after. And the cliff, the cliff, uh, you know, it was pretty significant on uh, the Friday night. Chuck. Yeah, it was a really interesting one. Rebuild sort of thing. I don't see them looking to do, active rebuild and go, all right, we're going to drop all these players and just go young and we're going to go straight to the bottom. I feel like they're still going to push because they know that they'll probably be, maybe if they they could be forced into a rebuild in a few years' time anyway with the likes of Selwood, mm. Dangerfield and a lot of their core talent just obviously having to retire because they're, they're too old, you know, on their last legs. Um you know, even Isaac Smith and Higgins and all these other guys that they've brought in are in that age bracket where they'll be slowly pulling away. I don't think a rebuild is necessary for the Cats. I think, you know, they're, they're happy making the, the eight and making the top four. And they obviously want to make that next level push. And I think that's just a case of they need to start being proactive in an extent and say, all right, you know, you guys are coming to your later legs. If we want to have success, with, we need to have some of these younger people um, getting games, so they're going to take your spot. You know what I mean? Um, some of these guys are going to lose their spot to the younger talent. You've got to acknowledge that you do need to give these guys games. Otherwise, when you do hit that cliff, you are going to drop whether you want to or not. Um, I think they're not going to rebuild, is what I would say. I think they're going to keep pushing and then hope that naturally those gaps will get refilled out with new players. Um, yeah. You know, Pendleton drops out, they bring in uh, Kruger, Kruger if he yeah. doesn't you know, leave. Yeah. I definitely agree. I think, I think it's a hundred percent a soft rebuild uh, for next year for the cats. You know, you could, you know, pick, pick four players of, of youth. So let's say, you know, Narkel with an asterisk, if he's still there, Kruger, Francis Evans, I'm a huge fan of. Um, Cooper Stevens, let's say those four, those four just have to play a majority of games next year. And it doesn't matter who comes out for them, who's in the existing team, but that just has to happen. You have to have players like Clark or Narkel in, again, hoping they stay, but at this stage, it doesn't look likely. But you got to add that pace. You got to add that um, zip through the middle that can actually compete with the teams like Melbourne and Richmond and the Bulldogs who are just blowing other teams off the park. I guess that brings us back around to the, the third question I have for Geelong was what goes first, the list or the coach? And we've spoken a bit about of the list here, but does Chris Scott, who has one year left in his contract, does he get that shot 
to have that potential soft rebuild or potential game planned uh, alteration? I would say he's going to be sticking around for as long as they want him to stick around. I think he has the passion still. He's been here for, he's been at the Cats for what, like it's at least 10 years now. And he probably, he seems just as invested as he's ever been in wanting this team to succeed. I know we were going to touch slightly on the game plan and, and what they, what they've got going on there. I think the game plan is not going to work. It doesn't yep. work in finals. Football. Yeah. It's been clearly shown that slow paced footy, you know, back when Ross Lyon was doing it, we all knew that it wasn't working. Fast pace needs to be done. And I feel like they've persisted with this slow pace because of the list itself, the age of the list, you know, maybe it's been seen that these cats players can have 10 minute bursts, like in the Melbourne game, you know, around 23 where they pile on the goals, but, then they kind of slump away. And it might be a factor because of the age demographic. That's why they had insisted on the slow pace because they knew they probably couldn't handle a full game's worth over and over again of high, you know, experience there. Um, Yeah, I think that I don't think Scotty's going to go. I think the Cats back him in. He loves the club. He's certainly not going to go to Carlton, though, wouldn't he? (laughs) Whatever money they throw at him. Um, but no, I don't think that's a case of that. I might touch on it uh, after Tiz gives his thoughts on yep. what I probably think is the best choice. Sure. You made a good point there, how often we seem to almost pick a, a time in play where we just go all out attack to try and get enough on the scoreboard then just, just do enough. To hold to, on. Uh, I suppose, yeah, to hang on, which we've seen a number of times and sometimes people Successful and other times unsuccessful, uh, round 23. But, yeah, look, <laughs> I, I think the game plan definitely needs – is probably the first thing that needs um, attention because that that has not uh, succeeded in finals. Uh, I, I even go back to our prelim final win in 2020, uh, last season. Looking back on that now, it, it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal considering Brisbane – again, they've had a few injuries this year, but – won one out of six finals. So I don't really – I'm almost putting them in the basket of the same teams we've beaten in the semifinals. We've been able to beat weak teams in finals. Yeah, that get um, to the second week, yeah. That get to the second week from after, you know, elimination final win. And they play, they play so, the grand final in the first week. So it's the same thing yeah, all the time. That's right. So it's, it's no coincidence that it falls short. And let's be honest, the Giants applied next to no pressure. Like the game was so open – um, you know, when we played them and there was hardly any pressure because the Giants were just so, so buggered. But I suppose, yeah, going, going back around at the game plan definitely needs tinkering it. Um, 2020 football doesn't work anymore. Uh, who would have thought in 2021? But yeah, that, that definitely needs, there, there just needs to be more, more pressure more often. We saw that times this year against Fremantle was a really good example where the pressure was just relentless. And I thought, Seeing that once made me go, okay, cool. Well, I've seen that we can do this and hopefully we can execute this when it actually matters, but uh, unfortunately not the case. So game plan needs a lot of attention um, because it's continually fallen short. Will Scott go? Uh, I think someone has to really drag him out for that to be the case. So he'll sit through his contract, but um, I'll happily take Alistair Clarkson in 2023 if, if at all happy families for everyone. Langs? 
Yeah, I mean, that would be that would be ideal, wouldn't it? And there's been, you know, questions sort of thrown around about Scarlett and Enright and some of the existing um, assistant coaches there who have been from um, been around from previous successful eras. But I think Chucky made a good point today when he was speaking about, you know, those players have been there in that system and that existing system and under Scott and under Bomber Thompson, you do want, you know, fresh voices and ideas from outside the club to come in and have that positive influence and, um, you know, take, take your club in a different but better direction. But um what are your final thoughts on that whole conversation, Chuck? Yeah, that's the points I was kind of going to put oh, on there. Is the, <laughs> just steal your, steal the, your the, content. <laughs> the exact thought there, yeah, is that, yeah, these players were all raised on Scott's influence and Bomber's influence, and they've worked their way up and be kind of gifted positions. I, I know that's a, a pretty harsh way to phrase it, but they've come straight out of retirement and maybe done a couple of things, but then being given spots on the coaching staff, you know, you've got Scarlett down back, you know, obviously he was a great full back and he's, he's, he seems to be a, a an excellent coach, good but coach, I yeah. can't really, I can't really pinpoint any exact thing as to why I would say he's a good coach. The thing that comes to mind is always, oh, he brought Tom Stewart, but that's not really a coaching tactic. That's just. It just seems like no, is. like, you know, no frills, no fuss, just like straight down the barrel. Um, yeah. You know, but probably gets a lot out of the players. <laughs> the players do really well in that back line, but yeah. some of the tactics in that back line are still not Questionable. fantastic. <laughs> You've seen how many times have we complained because Jack Henry got placed on the, the key forward yeah. at times. Yeah. Likes. Um, Corey Enright, great player, awesome player, but is he the right man to be a forwards coach? I thought it was interesting initially. I thought, oh, that's creative. A defender's perspective of a forward line but he's been his whole life as a defender brad ottens is the ruckman obviously a great ruckman he's ruck coach but he was a kind of a wrestling sort of ruckman wouldn't you agree mm. that's the kind of way that he played it he's coaching two of the exact same type who are athletic jumping yeah. sort of ruckman really is go he gonna together. have the best insight into how that they would be performing uh i see they've kind of matthew knights has already left he yep is probably one of the ex- one of the few external eyes that they had brought to the club um and i really think just in order for this team to to get more success and compete with some of these other clubs they need more external vision and an insight whether it be you know maybe moving a couple of these guys to other clubs so that they can get fresh perspectives i know obviously that's like you can't really loan a player a coach to another club but no. You know, I, I look at a Steve Johnson. I think he made has made a great career path. Yeah. He's gone from Sydney to the Giants. He's gotten a whole lot of style and yeah. learning all these different experiences. Geelong needs people from outside this bubble to help bring them new perspectives and new ideas. It's like a business. How many businesses out there that just have keep elevating from within that you need to have someone come out from outside, take a look and, you know, build you for the future. I think in, unless they start bringing in some fresh perspective, they're going to keep going through this same circle is my main thoughts. Yeah. There's the some great there. points there, Chuck. What are your, what are your quick thoughts on that? Tiz? Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, we do need to, was Matthew Knight's our midfield coach? I believe he was. Yeah, well, good thing he's moved on because uh, <laughs> we got absolutely we got 16 goals kicked on us from stoppage. Yeah, um, so 
That's all on you, Matthew. Uh, no, not all, not all of it. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it's good to have that exposure to other clubs. Of course, Sam Mitchell do it. Um, you know, going over to West Coast and then doing a bit of coaching there. And now look at look where he's at now, just taking Clarko's position at gunpoint. So um, yeah, look, it, it's definitely definitely a positive. Um, yeah, there's definitely definitely plenty that the cats could change, and hopefully, yeah, the right decisions get made. Um, yeah, it's going to be a pretty damning cliff when it does come along and we'll get great vision into that probably once we see our delistings and retirements and the trade period to see what the Cats do. They they definitely need they need that ability to pick up the ball for starters. Um, ground ball's been a, um, yeah, a real issue for a very long time, especially in that back line. Um, you see the dogs get get a ground ball and it just goes straight out. Like you get you get um, Bailey Dale, not not Dale Bailey. Dale Bailey. <laughs> uh, it, you know when he gets the footy and he's kicking. Oh, it's the best best kick I've ever seen. I think. But yeah, look, we, we've got uh, plenty of areas to work on. But that midfield definitely at the source. Um, it's it's B grade at best, um, and it's D grade in uh, in qualifying finals, preliminary finals, and grand finals. So. I would disagree in terms of the talent-wise there, Tiz, in terms of B-grade at best. I think they have a lot of A-grade talent in that midfield, but I think they're the same position and the same. You have a, you have Duncan, Guffrey, Managola, who I think are A-grade midfielders, but none of them are the burst excitement player or the guy that, you know, gets ball, smashes through. Guffrey has shown it at times, but they're mm. kind of the same. They're your... More yeah, outside Corey, sort of, yeah. Your steady, steady mind. Danger has always been Geelong's big burst guy, and I think he's kind of reached those legs where you kind of need someone else. He's not really playing the role anymore. He probably can't. He's definitely yeah. His body's getting a smashed lot older, up, isn't it? And I, I don't mean to be a danger hater, but you can't really rely on him anymore to be no. that big excitement factor. I think Geelong need to find a way to bring in that star power talent to the midfield and maybe they need to find a way to get a top draft pick because I think that's the way that you get stuff done. And you look, a lot of teams rise comes from, a, you know, Bontempelli at the Dogs and, and a lot of these guys, you need that one guy who's going to push through and be that star power talent. And the Cats don't have that right now with Selwood and danger kind of on the decline and the other's not looking to lift to be that player mm. and and the, all... the, the players that we do have sorry tis that look like they could be that uh narkel clark and parfit narkel could be you know shea bolton honestly right now he could be a more midfield based version of shea bolton tis but just through lack of you know effort or opportunity it's it's just not there i was gonna say um all those midfielders you mentioned Chuck, they're over 29 mm. Like they're not they're not getting any better. No, that, that's 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 a big concern. So my my mid the my midfield because <laughs> I own Geelong. Your Chris Scott. The midfield is my my biggest you know focus. Um, they they need some youth in there. They need some excitement and some you know Adam Cheras and, and and you know Tom Mitchells and these kinds of players. Just they yeah, it's very same same. It's sort of a, a very slow paced midfield. If you if you take Danger Field out there, it's incredibly slow and lacks spark so yeah lot, lots to digest there boys for the cats and it's gonna be a massive off season but uh bit of a break coming up lengths from cliffs to mountains we'll be speaking about the amazing performance that melbourne had 
and the seemingly glowing aura that grand final bound teams seem to have entering that that golden stage and that aura that Melbourne seemed to have going into the big game. So a quick break and we'll get stuck into that. So every season, there's one team recently more so I've noticed it seems to have that aura tis of, it just seems like it's in their destiny to win. The Dogs of 16 had that dream run to get into the grand final. You know, Richmond of the last few years just you know seemed commanding and dominant before the game had even started. Does Melbourne have that feel to you this year? Does it just feel like they've got it one and done? Oh, he's called it early. I'll tell you what, before that game uh, against uh, Port Adelaide and Western Bulldogs, I definitely thought, oh, this is theirs. I win comfortably. All of a sudden, it's changed up a little bit. Next minute. <laughs> definitely the way they played uh, over the course of Saturday night, I should say Friday night, was, um, yeah, ultra impressive. And everything's just pointing to you know destiny being in their hands we saw the round 23 uh game boys as well where you know who else but max gone after the siren to to get them uh you know top of the ladder and sort of finish top of the table for the end of the home and away but yeah it's it's a funny one they they don't appear to be absolutely dominant but gee that everything in the way they play and the way they prepare and, and how calm and composed they've been. They've got uh, a lot of attributes that, and just a lot of, you know, signals and Jack Reolds definitely uh, pointed this out. He said, he's got that, got that feeling about it where it, it looks pretty similar to what they experienced in 17. And if he and Jack would know that better than anyone. Um, yeah. That they've definitely got a lot going right for them. And, Almost theirs to lose, Chook. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one to say. Almost theirs to lose. <laughs> Almost jinx it there. I think with your statements there, Langers, about Bulldogs and Richmond, I feel like that's kind of a hindsight situation. We feel mm. like that was the case. I don't think either of those teams were favourites going into those grand finals. Yep. I think Adelaide were the clear favourites and they just got upset as hell and and Sydney obviously had a big strong you know buddy and the side looking really good and it was just these this type of teams that they were you know these fast moving young exciting sides yeah. that were able to get it done I could put Melbourne into that category for sure but in that same line of breath I could also put the Bulldogs in that yeah. category who are also a young you know fast moving side but they also have those sprinkles of experienced guys who've been there and done it before, who've got the flags. You know, Bontempelli's won one already, and he's well, he's young as hell. <laughs> yeah, he's really like 25, uh, isn't he, Bon? Or 26? He's still like... Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's what's really wild about this, is both sides are young. Yeah. But the dogs just have that couple years slightly more. Yeah. And that experience and that yeah. finals experience. And I don't know... I. I don't mean to start talking about the dogs already, but I think Melbourne in their line of thinking is they haven't been here and we've shot, we've seen that they've been able to be composed, but we've also seen examples of where they have not done well at all. We think of the West coast prelim. If yeah. I know that would want Mel- many Melbourne supporters to think back to that, but I feel like they can get an attitude at times. Some of these Melbourne young players and, and yeah. with young players in general, this, impenetrableness that oh yes how good are we yeah and i could see that slipping in 
that yeah. almost cocky attitude against yeah, the Cats. When I definitely noticed were, when Clary pointed at the scoreboard and there's, the, yeah, Viany, there's, there's a fine line luck. between arrogance and uh, confidence, Chuck. Yes. And I just feel like I wouldn't want them to get too ahead of themselves and have them get grounded straight real quick because, yep. it's, you know, it's what you guys say happened to Port against the Dogs is that they yeah. probably thought that they were all in to win it already. Yeah. Um, it's obviously what happened to Geelong back in 2008. They'd yeah. already booked their celebration venue and the likes. Oh, God. Don't get too confident. Young guys can obviously start to feel like it and, and this is the end. I'd hope that Goodwin, who I think is a good coach mm-hmm. and he's good for a win. Yeah. Uh, I, um, <laughs> I think I think we've already seen some clips that he's been trying to keep them yeah. grounded and he's yeah. saying there's one more game to go, Langers. But I think it's a really important focus for these young guys is that they stay grounded, Langers. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Chuck. And that was great footage seeing that from Goodwin saying, you know, we've, we've had a hell of a job and, you know, use that emotion, but we're not finished yet. We've got one more week to go tears. And I guess it's just, you know, there's that one team that seems to get into the grand final with as an absolute favorite. And it's pretty, pretty split this year, as you mentioned before, but it's just interesting. And as Chuck mentioned, looking back in hindsight, how much momentum can, you know, pretty much fuel a premiership run um, going into September and just before it as well. They've been incredibly even across the year and they've been both sitting right at the top outside of a couple of, you know, minor lapses here and there. But, yeah, it is hard to – you just keep giving the dogs a fair chance to to win because, it's you know, they're going to give 110% every week. And uh, Melbourne can obviously display arrogance at times, um, which, you know, we, we saw a few examples that we saw. You know, Treadray did a bow to the crowd. Uh, in 2007, just before they played the Cats, and uh, you know they won by 90 odd points. Um, I think about 86 against North, and and then uh, it was a bit more embarrassing the week after uh, against the Cats. So yeah, it, it's going to be going to be one of the games of the ages. I, I hope uh, a lot of grand finals tend to not be. Su- they're either super close or they're 10 goal <laughs> or anything beyond seven goals, and uh, definitely both teams, you know, really have great uh, skill in the contest and yeah, it's just going to be, there's just absolute midfield stars and just stars in general everywhere. Players that play their role and, and do a great job. One star was shining brighter than ever on Friday night. And by halftime, I'd mentally prepared myself before the game that the Cats could put up another terrible performance. And I was relatively over the shocking performance that the Cats were putting in. And the third quarter then became a, honestly, I was glued to the screen of what, what Gorn started to do in that third quarter. It was, it was probably, if not the best game I've ever seen a player play in terms of momentum. It was almost dusty-like with some of the things that Gorn was doing. Um, I mentioned before that Gorn and Melbourne had destiny on their shoulder, but every kick was perfectly weighted. Every tackle stuck. Every mark just fell into the Melbourne players' chests. Every goal went straight through the middle of the sticks and it just felt like one of those nights for the Ds and I'm sure it felt like that for you guys too. But Gorn obviously played one of the best ever games for Melbourne and I wanted to just throw it to you guys. Where does that game rank for you and where does Gorn rank now as one of Melbourne's best ever players? Oh, wow. I would definitely put it up there in one of his best games ever and yeah, arguably one of the best games played. You know, you don't kick five goals every day of the week as a ruckman 
and the way he kicked those goals, you know, snapping out of a pack versus taking a, a contested mark straight after it to, to kick it, set mm-hmm. back there. Um, in terms of best players Melbourne has seen, well, they're the oldest club ever. Yeah. It'd be pretty tricky to put him up there in, in the very top. But five All-Australians is nothing to, to sneeze at, especially as a Ruckman. You know, there's obviously a limited spot all the time for a Ruckman. And he's been up there against Grundy and Sandilands and all not Sandilands probably, but <laughs> Goldstein and the likes who have been, you know, some of the greats he's been fighting against. It He has been really impressive, especially from such humble beginnings. Mm. Uh, unfortunately for him, I'd say he's probably not, even the best ruckman to have played for Melbourne ever. <laughs> yeah, the, that's, the that's fair. Jim Steins, yep. But I definitely would put him up there as one of their greats. And, you know, he's still got plenty of time to come. 29, ruckman can go yeah. to their, you know, if, as long as his body holds out, he could have a few more years left. Or if you're Shane Mumford, life. you could just go <laughs> forever. <laughs> Retire and then come back. You know, we'll see if, if he adds a, another one or two All-Australians yeah. or a Norm Smith. Yeah, brings yeah. his team first flag in a long time i reckon gorney could definitely be up there as one of the greats tears if he if he becomes a premiership captain for the d's who haven't won a flag in a long time where does that put him for you i think even if he if they were to not win the grand final which i think they will um i think he's a walk-up hall of fame um player for the d's and definitely will go down as one of their all-time greats, but obviously you've got, uh, I think it was Ron Barassi who's won six premierships. So yeah. I saw that the other day. And I it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely blown away by that. Um, they obviously won a lot of flags before, uh, you know, around the time of the 60s and 50s. But yeah, I'm really interested to see around the 50s what that sort of entailed. They must have been an absolute super club for Barassi to win that many. But mm. yeah, uh, for, it's probably just about the best game Ruckman's ever played. Yeah, and Gorm <laughs> will never do that do that again in his life. And, and what a yeah. time to what a time to do it. So no, just absolutely everything he touched turned to gold and goals as well. Yeah, yeah, um, he, yeah. He was yeah he was nothing more in, than invincible. Really, he, he was unstoppable and um nothing the cats could do but not they were really going to try and stop him anyway they they gave up um i I don't know when they gave up when when he started kicking off everyone just sort of felt like a lot of the cats midfield were just watching i mean he he literally ran out of the stoppage in the center petrarca was open and gave it to an open gone and kicked one from 50 it was like i was like what can you do what can you do when the ruckman's doing that for the other team and When James Harms is taking screamers as well, there's not much he can do uh, when things like that start <laughs> happening. Wild. But it's just we've, wild we've in general, seen, Chuck. I was just saying, we've seen Ruckman who've kicked bags of goals in games and we've seen Ruckman who have gotten, you know, near 70 hit-outs in a game and the yeah. likes, you know. But this was a performance that wasn't just, you know, getting a lot of taps against some 18-year-old. <laughs> this was winning taps, getting ball around the ground, saving with you know marks defensively kicking goals that midfielders should only be able to kick and forwards should only be able to kick he was all over the ground it was an all-round awesome performance and and definitely agree if you lang is it's one of the greats yeah it's weird that not, melbourne not to mention it's in a prelim final as well yeah exactly it just multiplies everything doesn't it melbourne have yep. had you know petrarca and oliver are just like we haven't even talked about them but you know their their performances and their careers so far at melbourne would have them, you know, pushing that Hall of Fame category for for the D's. And Jack Viney hasn't been spoken about, but he was a former captain of the club and he had 30-something touches in a prelim. And 
he was just as good as any of any of the other players. And all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but you know, after so so many long years of having no success, they've now got you know four, five, six of the most elite players. If you put Lever and May into that category as well, that you'll ever see, and it just seems we've spoken about it all year. Their, their youth and their balance has been exceptional, and even you know, down to the you know probably twenty second player on their list in Jake. Jake Bowie, he's played seven games and he's going to walk into a grand final as a dashing redheaded halfback and he's going to absolutely hold his spot and, and deserves their spot. It's just been an amazing season from Melbourne and yeah, that, that aura, that glow that they have will carry them right to the grand final, I think. But to get the win, they're going to have to go through the dogs and they once again have gone the long way like they did in 2016. And if it was any other teams, I think the, the Demons were definitely hoping for Port Adelaide to get into the grand final. They would have been much more confident. I think this was the last result that Melbourne wanted to have a massive Bulldogs win. And then it's like, uh-oh, we've seen what happens when this when this has happened before. And the Bulldogs match up so well to Melbourne. But boys, can they repeat what they did in 2016 and go the long way and win the flag again? Yeah, definitely a, a chance, Langs. Uh, more than a chance, really. They'll, they'll fancy themselves and everyone's been uh, underrating. I, 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 too, like yourself, Langs, wrote them off, uh, you know, once they lost three in a row, thinking, well, not many teams play well. Um, <laughs> going into finals, I, I think the record was no team either won a grand final or made a grand final after losing their last two home and away games. Uh, so they lost their last three. They could be in pretty rare air there if they uh, happen to find a way. But both both teams definitely have the ability to definitely beat up on each other. We, we saw, and we'll probably do a much deeper dive next week. But yeah, Melbourne got off to a really good start earlier in the season. And um, the Dogs counted back in round 19 with, um, yeah, the way they went about it. Uh, short, short answer, Langs. Absolutely, they they can win it, and they're they're right up to you know they're, they're definitely right in with a, a big chance to win. It's it's a sixty forty or fifty fifty. I don't really know how it's gonna gonna look, but yeah, I, with the dogs and beverages psychological prowess, uh, anything's possible, Chuck. Yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Obviously, they're a chance to. Can't say no one's ever not a chance, especially in the grand final. They they got there for a reason, and their side does look really impressive to me. You know, I've talked about their midfield every day of the week of how many players they have that are A-list in that midfield. So I'm not going to bother talking about that right now because I've said it plenty of times. The one thing I've also said plenty of times late in the season particularly was Stefan Martin's role as Ruckman in this side and what it could bring. Now, you could argue they, they still lost the outs overall to Port Adelaide, but I think his presence was important in that it allowed English a bit more opportunity to kind of split the load there in that uh, Ruck battle. Um, I think his presence is going to be very heavy against Max Gorn as well, just a big, mature body that can, you know, wrestle and, and hopefully, you know, put a bit of effort in there otherwise if, if you left English or any other player on their own against Max Gordon in the grand final I think you're going to find that they're uh, they're going to be on the bench sooner rather than later uh, exhausted out of their bloody wits end wanting it up to end but um, do you have any thoughts about Martin because I know you and I have both had the discussion about his impact what how it was going to be before the game came to play but what do you 
yeah, I thought he competed really well, Chuck, and did his best to um, beat up Lysette and just give that that midfield, you know, that extra dominance around the stoppages. And he gave a few free kicks away, but he did his job, you know, amazingly. He's a big boy, Steph Martin. I think we forget he's one of the strongest, uh, you know, bench pressers and just biggest players and quite a handsome player as well in general. But uh, he did a fantastic job. And it just gives that that midfield, you know, um, Lewis Young, I thought, had done a pretty good job. He was trying his best and he was doing well in stages, but he just doesn't have that physical size or jump that an actual Ruckman does. But it just gives that midfield that extra, you know, they're walking taller when they're walking next to Steph Martin, aren't they, Chuck? They've just got that extra pep in their step when they know that they, they when they get that service and delivery and all of a sudden you're not relying on Libra as much to get that grand ball out and give it into Bont's hands because he's getting it straight from the Ruckman. And Bont doesn't have to waste so much time and use a lot of his energy, you know, organizing his midfielders around a stoppage to cover, you know, Lewis Young probably losing the Ruck um, hit out to a more dominant Ruckman. But he did a great job, Chuck. And matchup wise, it's so important for the for the uh, dogs to have Martin in the team because Gorn, obviously, we've just spoken about how amazing he is, but Generally, I think the dogs, and we've seen it throughout the year with the the two games so far being split each way, but they're such a good matchup for the Ds. And I think this grand final is going to be so even. If you break down line by line, it's one of the most even grand finals we've seen in a while. How, how about uh, your, your mate, Mitch Hannon? Uh, Langsford. Oh, absolutely. He was playing like Wayne What Kerry, about in he? the first quarter when there was a ball going inside 50, a grand ball, and he, ju- he just came from outside the the tv and he just hit the ball at like 600 miles do you remember that he just hit it like a gazelle running away from a line and then just turned around and led to a score it was incredible i I was i've been a fan of him from a long time but he yeah he was incredible and he's just hit for like really good form at a really good time for the dogs it's amazing when um you you win (laughs) you win at the source and we saw liber you know win the first couple of clearances um, and obviously led, led to scores directly as a result of you know his influence there. So uh, as uh, Kingy says, Libba, he's the man that take you know, gets gets sturdy and takes you to freedom. Um, yeah, with his magnificent handball game, and you know he got hit the scoreboard a little bit uh, against the Lions as well. And yeah, he's just really damaging his disposal efficiencies. Uh, and at least when when you see him kicking handball, they're absolute darts. So. Um, yeah, he's going to be a player to watch for sure. And yeah, that Josh Jackie played a really unselfish role as well on a Lear. I'm glad, you know, why couldn't Scotty just prevent a Lear from playing his <laughs> best game ever? And and then the Western Bulldogs are actually smart and play a decent play on him and play, play him from behind as well. So yeah, it's amazing. Um, sometimes someone else's misfortunes can become gold insight and wisdom for another man and what better man than Luke Beveridge really um, could be one and loss in the coach's box boys. I, I generally think it's so evenly matched um, these sides. And again, we'll, we'll definitely probably go player by player next week uh, in terms <laughs> of reviewing, but yeah, it, it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a crazy game. No doubt about that. I was uh, just going to say, I definitely agree the importance of some of these players who aren't taking the spotlight and Shaki's role was definitely extremely important. There's, there's others in the back line who probably don't get as much, you know, credit or, or fame as the others. And Lang, as I think you had one particular player that you want to speak about who you thought might be the most underrated going around. Yeah. Well, I thought I'd ask you guys first, but it's a, a lovely little handball there, Chuck. Um, 
there's a lot of good players for the dogs. There's a lot of good players in the finals team in general, but I think the most underrated player for the Bulldogs is Latham Vandermeer. And it's so important that he gets back into the team for the grand final. I'm pretty sure he's averaging the most inside 50 pressure acts over finals. He literally got the dogs into the prelim with that last minute rush behind and smart play against Brisbane to just to get the ball desperately over the line. He's so important for that inside 50 pressure. He can kick goals. He lays big tackles and he allows with Bruce out, he allows that forward line to function. He allows Norton to go up and fly. He allows Hannon to lead up and have that extra space going back inside 50. And I thought I'd just run it past you guys as to who who you guys thought was the most underrated player or whether you agree with me. But I think Vandermeer is just so important to that forward structure to allow the big guns to do their thing while he does the dirty work and it pays off big time for the dogs. Yeah, I'm definitely on the side that Vandermeer is really crucial and important to the side. I probably feel every player in their own right is is extremely vital to their team. Um, you could go through so many of them and say who's the best or who's the most important player. There's millions yeah. that you can go through. <laughs> the whole, every, the, everyone. <laughs> their entire midfield and the likes, but in terms of maybe unheralded a bit, I think, as I said, a few of the guys down in that back line, I think Ryan Gardner has been playing, yes. you know, a bit of a solid role. Yep. He actually had 100% time on ground, the only player in the prelim final. That's ridiculous That's to think crazy. that, you know, he's a guy who was delisted from Geelong a few years ago and I completely didn't even realise he was the same guy <laughs> until <laughs> later on, but... He has been playing just a, a solid role that is just, you know, not overly flashy or, or out there, but he's doing what he needs to be done. And I think players like him and, and Zane Cordy did a good job coming back into the Bulldogs side as well. I think those those backmen who were there just, you know, to put a bit of muscle on it and, and, and keep the contest legit are, are probably the most unheralded and most important players. Nice chalk and probably a man that's, you know, had um, some an interesting 2021 campaign, Josh Dunkley. He, he probably falls under the radar a little bit with, you know, there's there's Trelaw, there's Bontempelli, there's McRae and there's heaps of midfielders you can sort of reel off pretty quickly. But uh, especially his game the last few weeks has been pretty instrumental and he was really, really good in the prelim final. So he's finally getting back to some of his better form. Um, yeah, he's just that really tough operator and um, uses the ball really well. I think um, Bailey Dale, not not to be unheralded because he, he gets he's got an Australian. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but he's kicking of of being paying very close attention yeah. over the last couple of weeks. He's kicking is he's got a laser. It's better than Mitch Duncan's. Yeah, um, it's insane. I, I think it's the best kick in the AFL. So. I just wanted to just shout out to uh, Bailey Dale or Dale. Just a personal Bailey. congratulation to Bailey Dale. Yeah, yeah. And, and Alex Keith obviously uh, is being heralded a little bit more as the season's gone on with his really good, uh, you know, jobs on the forward line. Um, you know, those big key tools. And I thought Cordy did a really good job. He'll probably unfortunately make way yeah. for for Keith, uh, which will be a sad story. Uh, one would think so. But yeah, those are definitely players that come to mind. But yeah, Josh Dunkley, keep uh, keep your eyes peeled. Do we want to do Melbourne as well, Langs? Um, well, if you have a quick underrated player for the Demons you wanted to mention, we'll obviously go into more depth next week when we do our grand final preview. But um, yeah, hit us with your uh, most underrated player for the Demons, Tiz. Spargo has been 
A squid. <laughs> Lately. A squid. <laughs> yeah. Is that like a small octopus because you get so many tackles? Ten tackles? Yeah, yeah, he, he loves it. He's a tackle machine and he plays his role really well. He, he's always good for a goal or a couple of goals. Like the same. He just executes the basics really well. And, uh, yeah, he's a key cog to that forward line. And he tore us up as well. So, um, yeah, he kicked, kicked a few on us and um, definitely start early when it counted, Chuck. Yeah, definitely a, a fair call there to, to talk about the unheralded players. Gee, to go back to the Demons, uh, I thought I was over-talking about them, but if I could pick one, it would probably be in similar lines to what I was just talking about with the Dogs. I think Harrison Petty's role down back is extremely crucial for these Demons, not mm. just because he plays his role and he, and he takes the, the key forward, but he, without him, Either Lever or May has to be more accountable and they don't get to be as offensive and as important as they generally need to be. So I think same lines as the doggies, the crucial key back that is maybe a bit unheralded is so important in that it allows the other players to do. Um, yeah, so I'd be going petty. Spot, spot on, Chuck. We spoke about that last week, you know, being the David Asprey sort of designated driver role doesn't do does does all the hard work so his teammates can have all the fun and he gets no credit but his teammates get all the rewards so boys it's going to be an absolutely huge preview next week it's i'm so excited for the grand final obviously the brownlow medal this sunday night as well it's probably going to be a bit of a discussion point because there's probably three or four genuine players that could win it and uh it's going to be quite a high scoring uh brownlow this year from what the uh, predictors have in mind thank you boys for joining me this week uh obviously Anyone who's listened throughout the year, thank you so much for listening. We've appreciated all your feedback and comments on our social media platforms. Um, if you're listening now during prelim final week, um, going to the grand final, please make sure you're following us on, at AFL Unlimited on Instagram, Facebook, we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, all the listening platforms. Tears, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. No worries. Don't, t- don't sound too excited. <laughs> don't get too excited. <laughs> Shook, thank you always. Uh, Happy to be here, and I'll do a quick one. I reckon Ollie Wines might be a, an Ooh. upset for the Brownlow this weekend. Yeah, righto. That's a sneaky little uh, late-minute uh, tip there from Chook. Thank you guys for joining me this week. You'll hear from us next week for our massive grand final preview. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. AFL Unlimited, because footy is limitless.